everybody probably has seen at least one good time travel movie. I want to just put a few of them up on the screen and see if you recognize them. So, of course, the classic is, yeah, Back to the Future, right? Like, that's the, that's the classic one. Everybody remembers that one. Okay, uh, next we have, I'll be back, right? Terminator. And he kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back. Um, and then we have Harry Potter. Yes, there's about 91 of those. I don't know how many of those movies there. There's a lot. Uh, and next, we have Star Trek. How many Trekkies we got? Any Trekkies? Yeah? Six of you. Great. Okay. Uh, go to the next one. And, okay, you got to be old to remember this. How many of you legitimately remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Come on. Yeah? All right. All right, one more. What do we got in the last blank? Groundhog Day. It's the same day over and over and over and over. And so here's what, here's what time travel movies teach us. That the past is connected to the present and the present is connected to the future, right? And usually in most of these movies, you have a character that goes back in time and usually unconsciously does something really small and it sets off a chain reaction and then in the future, things dramatically change. Uh, and, and, and so that's kind of their way of showing us, hey, the past and the present really are connected. Now, we continue to be fascinated by the future. However of a, of, a, of a fantasy that time travel really is, it doesn't change our fascination with the future. You know, from predictions to um, uh, expectations about what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, we're told that in 12 years, if we don't stop driving gasoline-powered cars, the whole earth's going to melt or something fold up in a box. Uh, we're, you know, we've had people come out and say, I know the exact day Jesus is going to return, and those dates keep going past us like lines on the road, you know, and he's not here yet. And then, and then there's the, um, here's what the economy's going to look like in the fall you know, and you get to the fall, all the way to the one that I know that's very dear to most of your hearts, the way too early prediction on who's going to win the college football national championship this year, if there's a season, you know, to be determined. We don't know that yet. So from palm readers to astrologists to dreams and visions that promise to quench our thirst about the future, we're all interested in the future, inherently interested in the future, because the future energizes us and it frightens us. Nothing, nothing like it. In the blessing, there's actually a future element to it. So we've been in this series for a few weeks on the blessing, which is just, uh, let me give you the definition of it. The blessing is unconditional love and acceptance communicated. So inside the blessing, I've, we've listed five elements and you can see them there. And we've been walking each week. Last week, we actually covered number two and three. Today, we're going to be talking about picturing a God-designed future. Picturing a God-designed future. So in Genesis 27, we actually see where Jacob blessed Isaac. And we can see how he spoke the blessing over him in this exact way in picturing a God-designed future for Isaac. Genesis 27, 28, and 29. Chapter, 28, verse 20, 20, chapter 27, verse 28, 29. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's rich, richness 
and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. Now, this blessing actually happened. It came true. Jacob had 12 sons. One of his sons, Joseph, was exalted to second in command in a foreign nation and actually was uh, uh, told by God in a dream how to store up grain and food for a famine that was coming. He stored it up, and actually that's how the nation of Israel was preserved through Jacob and his family moving to Egypt and and, uh, having enough to eat. And, and actually, Jesus' family line was preserved through that time, through that whole process. So a blessing is not a prediction of the future. It is communicating the value and the potential that's inside every one of us uh, given by God. So it's not a prediction, but it is a communication of the value and potential of every person. So let me give you five thoughts this morning. Um, that you, you, here's some thoughts if you want to write them down about what we can learn from the part of the blessing that, we, that is a, a God-designed future, okay? Number one, God is a God of the future. So what I want to do here is I just want to kind of build a case for you to show you how God is a forward-looking God and God's kingdom is a forward-looking kingdom. So in the Old Testament, you can see from the very, very beginning that from creation that God was forward-looking. It's not that God won't help you with your past. He will absolutely help you with your past. But he's just not about your past. What he's about is your potential, and he's about your future. And so that's a whole different look. From Genesis, we see that. If you read through the Old Testament, there's one theme that you'll find again and again and again. It's a forward look to the future and the New Testament at the time when Jesus would come to earth as a baby. And then if you roll over to the New Testament, you'll find this theme through the New Testament that the disciples are looking toward the future, anticipating the time when Jesus would return. John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3, Jesus actually tells us about a future after his return. Listen to what he says. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be also where I am. So this is good news for all believers. We have a future past the New Testament. In fact, if you go to the last book of the New Testament, guess what it's about? The future, the book of Revelation. So God is a God of the future. Christianity is about the future. The kingdom of God is forward-looking, and Christians are people of the future. And let me tell you why this, um, why Satan does what he does. Satan does everything he can do to make your life as painful and as broken, and he wants to saddle you down with as much weight as early as possible. You know why? He wants you to never arrive at your future. 
So he wants to make your life painful and broken and overwhelming. He wants you to get frustrated. He wants you to get discouraged so that you will give up and never connect with the potential or the future that God has for you because he knows that God is a God of the future and God has a plan for your life. Satan will gladly give you the present if you will give him the future because he knows that's where the potential of God resides in your life. So, when we lose our ability to look into the future, when we lose our ability to anticipate what's coming with hope, we lose something fundamentally Christian. When your past becomes greater than your dreams, you've lost something Christian. You've not lost just perspective. You've not just gotten discouraged. You've not just gotten whatever else you want to call it. You have lost something fundamentally Christian. Because it is Christian in nature to anticipate the future with hope. Because God is a God of hope. He said, I know the plans I have for you that will give you a future and a hope. So God is a God absolutely of the future. Now, here's the second thought. Words about the future impact us. When people say things about the future, it impacts us. So let me give you an example. If you were to turn the news on today and uh, hear somebody say, hey, um, by the way, uh, by this time next month, COVID-19 is going to be so bad We're going to have to lock everything down, and everybody's going to have to be sheltered back in their house. Can we just have a collective, uh, right? Who wants that? Nobody. But wait, but wait, but wait. That's the future. You're not sheltered today. You can go where you want today. But it's that thought, it's that word about the future that brings dread. On the other hand, what if somebody came out and said, we found a vaccine and this will be eradicated by this time next month? Yes! Right? But it's not eradicated now. But it's a word about the future that brings you great fear and dread or brings you great excitement. Words about the future impact us. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So what does it sound like when somebody speaks about the future in a discouraging way? They say something like this, You're so irresponsible, you're never going to amount to anything. And for somebody to say that to you, that's discouraging. That hurts. That hurts. With grades like this, you're not going to go very far. You better hope when you you get older, you find somebody who can take care of you. Well, that hurts, doesn't it? But flip that around, and what would it sound like for someone to say, you know, every time I see you, you you're encouraging people. And I think God's going to use you to help a lot of people. It's about the future. But isn't that powerful? You know, you know uh, I notice that people really listen to you when you talk. I think God's going to use that ability. You're going to be a great leader one day. 
You know what? You're so good with details. I can see how you're constantly organizing things. God is going to use you to bring great order and organization to make a huge difference in a lot of people's lives. Doesn't that see? That rings different, but it impacts us. If you're in an environment where all you hear is cut downs and put downs and relationship problems, you're going to tend to gravitate to that kind of future. On the other hand, if you are in an environment where people are speaking life into you about your future and saying things about your future that give you hope, you're going to tend to gravitate to that kind of future. Hey, let's be honest about something this morning. If you were to reflect on your life, the people through your life who've meant the most to you, I bet you have one thing in common. They're all very interested in your future. They've made an investment in your future. They've made a commitment to your future. And if you reflect on the teachers, the coaches, the parents, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, the nephews, the friends, the bosses that meant the most to you, are the people that are interested in your future. Because words about the future impact us. Number three, the deeper the relationship, the deeper the blessing. You know when a stranger says something nice, it's nice. But that's really it, isn't it? But when a person who knows you deeply speaks into your future, it is a word that can echo inside your heart for years. Because they have a relationship with you. Well, God is a relational God. And Christianity is a relational faith. And the kingdom of God is a relational kingdom. And the church as an organism is knitted together by relationships. And furthermore, Jesus, not content to stay in heaven and watch us suffer, came and put a human body on so that he might experience everything we experience. And Hebrews says that he's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. He's felt everything you and I felt. He has felt conflict and he's felt pain and he's felt suffering. And he's gone through what you and I have gone through. Who better to bless you than the one who knows what you're going through? And that's why Jesus has the ability to bless us so deeply because he's walked in our shoes. He knows what we feel. Psalm 139, David said it this way, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you already know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. See, God knows you. And that's why he can bless you so powerfully. But it's also a relational principle that you and I can draw from. If you want to bless someone, you got to know them. you got to know them. And the more deeply you know them, the more deeply you can bless them. So I'm not just saying learn to do happy talk. I'm not saying just say positive things. Here's some questions that you can ask about the person, a child, a grandchild, a spouse, a friend, a person you're in relationship that you want to bless. Here's some things you can ask. Do you know where they're at emotionally? Like how are you feeling lately? How are you processing all this? How are you processing your life? In order for you to bless someone, you're going to have to know something about that. What about their strengths and weaknesses? Do you know where they're strong and do you know where they're weak? 
What about this question? If time and money were no issue, what would you do with your life? Do you know their dreams? Do you know their dreams? What about their fears? Do you know what they're afraid of? What about the gifts that God put in them? Do you know the unique abilities and supernatural gifts that God has put in that person? The Bible declares that every believer has. Do you know what those gifts are? If you know what those gifts are, it becomes much easier to speak into their future. What experiences have impacted them the most? What are they passionate about? What is your relationship with God like now? What does that look like? If you, if you know those things about a person, you know them pretty well. And you're in a position to then speak a blessing into their life and to speak to them in a way that gives them hope about God's plan for them in the future. When I was in high school, I had a basketball coach and his wife who sort of adopted me in my journey in faith. I, I became a Christian um, at a similar time that they began to move into our church and our school. And um, they kind of took me under their wing and saw potential in me. And they would say things to me that other people hadn't said in my life yet. God wants to use you. God has a plan for your life. You have potential. You, 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 you can do this. You, you need to go to college. You need to, you need to get an education. You need to prepare. You need to train. And then I remember one night we were in prayer, and um, his wife said to me, she said, I believe that God wants me to say something to you. And she said to me, I didn't even know this was in the Bible at the time, she said to me, God has redeemed you, and he's called you by name, and when you walk through the water, it'll not overcome you, and you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. That's Isaiah 43 that became an anchor in my life that spoke hope into my future. And because of their relationship with me and their investment in me, that was a blessing that has resonated through my life again and again. Decades later, that scripture is still something I hold on to in hard times in this very day. Because they spoke into my future. Number four, the older you get, the more blessing is found in legacy. So maybe you're here today and you say, well, wait a minute. What kind of God-designed future does God have for me? I, maybe you've retired. Maybe you're empty nest. Maybe you're close to retirement. Maybe you're you know, sitting at home watching this and going, I can't even come to church right now. I'm, I'm, I'm walking with a walker. You know, I have physical limitations I didn't have before. I don't know how many years I have left. Does God really have a future for me? And the answer is yes. God's designed future for you is legacy. It's exactly what Justin and Sarah said this morning about the lady who left an inheritance that founded a camp in Romania that will bless hundreds and thousands of kids for decades. Yes, you have a legacy. It's the values that live in you that will live on in other people. David had Solomon. Elijah had Elisha. Moses had Joseph or uh, uh, Joshua. Paul had Timothy. Jesus had his disciples. Maybe you've never heard of this family, but there's a family by the name Green, the Green family. 
They did something uh, that you'll recognize. They founded a chain of stores in America called Hobby Lobby. And the Green family is a family of wonderful faith. And they've had a dear love for the Bible, a love for Scripture. And that love has been passed down from one generation to another as they've passed the business of Hobby Lobby from the, from the parents who founded it now to the next generation. And, and the, the Green family decided because of their love of Scripture, they founded something called the Museum of the Bible. You may have never heard of it. They donated $500 million dollars to start the Museum of the Bible. It's a 430-square-foot building, state-of-the-art, immersive museum in Washington, D.C. It opened in 2017, and it is and will be unlike any tribute to the Bible in the whole world. Uh, and a, a million people went through the museum the first year it opened because... Of what? A God-designed future of legacy. Now you may say, I doubt our family's ever going to have a legacy like that. Let me tell you something, okay? I want you to listen very carefully to me. Your family will probably never have a legacy like that, and my family will probably never have a legacy like that. But let me tell you this, the legacy that our families have is just as important to God as the Green family. We have families in this church who are four generations deep. And as I watch from great-grandparents to grandparents to parents to little ones, I see some of the values that have been passed down from one generation to another. And can I tell you, when you can see it, it's a legacy and it's a blessing. And it is absolutely part of God's future for you. There com everybody comes to an age where God's designed future for you is legacy. It is that the values, the eternal values that he put in you now live in the people that you loved and that you bless. So here's my final thought today. Kingwood Church has a God-designed future. Kingwood Church has a God-designed future. What is it? It's to be a movement of hope. Every time, every time you do something, every time you give, every time you serve, every time you invite, every time you engage, every time you reach out, every time you plant a seed of hope, every time you minister to someone, every time you wear this wristband that I'm still wearing. I know March... February was a hundred years ago when we handed them out. But mine hadn't rotted off yet. Still got it. Every time you do it, let me tell you what you do. You speak a blessing over this church. And you say, God, bless. And let this blessing overflow into this community, into this county, and into the world. And let a movement of hope sweep through. How many of you know we need a movement of hope now more than we have ever, ever needed it? And it is absolutely God's future for us. It's God's plan for us. Thank God in His wisdom that He knew the future when we didn't.
he put hope in it before we got there. I'm so grateful for that. Hey, today, um, I was thinking maybe you're kind of slid in here for church or you're watching online or you're watching a replay of this service sometime later. Can I tell you where a God-designed future starts? It starts with a relationship with Jesus. Because without a relationship with Jesus, the truth is we don't have a God-designed future. We don't even have a good future. We have a bad future. So today, I want to ask you if you're in the room, if you'd stand. and If you're online, just kind of open your heart for a minute. If you just close your eyes and open your heart with me. I want to pray with you for a couple of minutes. Just, to, just two things I want to pray with you about. If you're watching online or you're here in person and you say, you know what? I, I need to start. I need, I need a fresh start. I need a new start. I need to start a new relationship with Jesus. I, I need whatever that God-designed future He has for me starts today with a relationship with Him. And I, I need His forgiveness. I need His touch. I need to know when this service is over that I've got a relationship with Him. And so if you're watching online, all you have to do is drop in the comment section. Just type, I need Jesus. Our prayer team is online. They're live right now. And uh, they're going to meet you there. And they're going to pray with you. And I'm going to pray with you. And the presence of God's going to surround you. And God will absolutely meet you where you are. And if you're in the room this morning and you, you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, you need to start, you need to, maybe you've drifted, maybe this whole thing's thrown you away and you say, you know what, I honestly haven't had a relationship with Jesus in years and I'm not even totally sure I have a, a living relationship with Jesus today, a real one. Today, if you want to start a real relationship, I just want you to lift your hand so I can see it. And with everyone's eyes closed, and I'm going to pray with you. And we're going to pray with those of you who are online now. And we're going to, Jesus is going to do something powerful in your life. Would you just lift your hand wherever you are in the room? Let, let me see it. Thank you. Yeah. Just lift it up and put it back down. And those of you who are online, I want to pray with you now. Just pray this prayer with me, dear Jesus. I pray that you'd enter my life right now. I pray that you'd walk into my heart and my mind. I need you and I need your presence and I need the life that is in God. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. And I pray that you'd give me the strength and courage to follow you. God, transform me now. Do for me what I cannot do for myself. I lean on you today. Thank you for giving me hope. Thank you for introducing me to Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. With everybody's eyes closed, I want to offer one more prayer. We are in such uncertain times. And I was thinking, this we know less about the future probably than we have in a long time. And a lot of you in your job, in your home, in your family... You're being called upon right now to make difficult decisions um, daily. I mean, you know, we're, we, in, in three days' notice, we flip service times and, you know, all that. And you're online. You're being called upon, many of you, to make hard choices. 
and you're doing your best. But I want you to know something, you're not alone. The book of James says, if you lack wisdom, ask in faith, and God will give it to you. So I want to ask this morning with every eye closed, if you're here in the room and you say, I need wisdom today, would you just lift your hand and say, pray for me. Man, I've got, yeah, I know, I know. Just lift it up, just lift it up. You got some choices, man. You got some things on your mind. I know you do. A lot of us, a lot of us, a lot of us. If you're online, just drop in the comment section, I need wisdom. And our prayer team's going to meet you there and pray with you. Would you just pray today and let's just receive the presence of God. Lord, today we stand on your word that says, if we ask in faith, believing that we'll receive, you will give us wisdom. So today, we absolutely depend on the promise of God that the wisdom of God is ours. So Lord, I ask you this morning that you would fill your people with wisdom and discernment and understanding and the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, of self-control and peace and patience and joy and love. God, we, we lifted our hands today because we need something from you that we can't provide ourselves. So God, we ask you today to give wisdom and faith and hope to your people. Guide us. Guide us when we don't know what to do. And Lord, guide us when we think we know what to do and we don't know what to do. Direct us, Lord, now by your own goodness and grace. In Jesus' name.